is up, everyone? Welcome to There Can Only Be One, the podcast that helps make the all-star best of of your favorite musicians. And I am giddy as all hell this week because we are tackling one of my favorite bands of all time, prog metal geniuses dream theater and here to join me on this this voyage of discovery is the one and only sean faust sean welcome to the show for the first time how are you doing man man i'm excited to be on this show i loved the pilot episode i'm looking forward to hearing so much more and i gotta tell you my brother I remember we were going to talk about another band and then just we started talking about Dream Theater. And I was like, dude, let's just do Dream Theater. Uh, Probably the band I've seen live the most in my entire life. And I'm a Fish fan, too. So think about that. (laughs) You know, I, I, I Dream Theater, I think, fits into my top five, perhaps, of bands I've seen multiple times uh, i know queen's would be up there for sure um i think coheed and cambria might be up there but dream theater is definitely in that top five uh oh anthrax as well of course because again pilot episode anthrax has to happen um but we have a lot of albums to discover on this one here and a couple of different eras too so let me let me just paint the picture here we are about to go through 15 studio albums plus one ep now remember too that we are not touching any of the live albums or their greatest hit and 21 other really cool songs um but that also means we are not covering the lost not forgotten yitzy jam releases so for those of you who are starting there to thinking oh great we're going to do the majesty demos we're not doing the majesty demos where we're starting though is in 1989, specifically March 6th, 1989, with the first full-length studio release, When Dream and Day Unite. The lineup at this point was John Petrucci, John Myung, Mike Portnoy, Kevin Moore on keyboards, and Charlie Dominici on vocals. This, of course, is the only Dream Theater album that never actually hit the Billboard 200. So we are in early days of Dream Theater. Sean, what have you got? Well, It's funny, you mentioned March 6th, which is the birthday of David Gilmour of Pink Floyd. It's the day that the Alamo siege ended and they uh, lost, the defenders. Did they lose, though? Because we all seem to remember. (laughs) And I'm one of the few people that my brother and his friend Steve loved this album when it came out. They were both guitar players. Uh, My brother did switch to drums around the same time, too, because he's just one of those musicians that has forgotten more than I'll ever learn. And I, I I guess it was the production. I cannot tell you what it was about this album, but at the time, I used to be like, this is stupid. I hate dream theater. What the hell is a dream theater? Shut up dream theater. But I, you know, but I was listening to Queen a lot. I was listening to a lot of Guns N' Roses. I was listening to a lot of Floyd. Uh, just Saigon Kick. I mean, so name it. So the, the production on this album like did turn me off. And when I look back on it now, I'm just like, man, there are some amazing songs on this album that I was just such a little dick about at the time. 14 years old. I guess I was 15 by, you know, by the time they got around to it in 90. But man, did I make fun of this album a lot. And I will say, hindsight being 2020, I was so wrong. So all these years later, it just came down to, I listened to the album a lot. And I especially listened to it a lot around the Train of Thought tour. 
because I was so excited that they were going to be doing Only a Matter of Time live. And Only a Matter of Time is definitely my favorite song in the album. It's got all those elements of dream theater that I'm in love with today. Okay. So... Is it was it the thrill of like going back and knowing that song was out there? First of all, when they're on tour, how much do you do go do you go to setlist.fm to see what they're playing on tour before you actually go see them? Or do you just want to go be surprised? But secondly, how does seeing it live change your perception from those early album days? Well, all right, first things first, back during the Train of Thought tour, they just, bands used to do this thing where like, hey, we're going to dust off this song, we're going to dust off that song. Like when Pink Floyd toured in 94, they're like, hey, we're going to be doing Breathe, we're going to be opening with Astronomy Domini. It wasn't like a set list spoiler, and nowadays it is. Like, so uh, I try really hard not to go to setlist.fm to check out a Dream Theater set list, but at the same time, I want to know, when am I going to go take a leak? When am I go? I don't drink anymore, but it used to be like, all right, where's my beer break? Is there a beer break here? Because that's a 25-minute beer break if there is. It's Dream Theater. Who are we kidding? Also, the live setting has changed my view on a lot of songs that I didn't like uh, at first, uh, studio-wise. Like I used to not like, and this will sound weird, but I used to not like Under a Glass Moon, and I got it live, and I was like, why, why didn't I like this song? <laughs> How stupid am I? But the live setting does help with certain songs. You know, I, I can't really disagree on that because, you know, I fully admit that there are certain songs that my only experience of them, because I've seen them live a bunch of times, but my only experience of those of those songs initially came from watching live DVDs. One of my favorite DVDs that they put out, and they put out a lot, they've put out a lot, uh, is the score live presentation with the full orchestra and all that and they kind of did a full 20 year retrospective look at some of their catalog and the second song that they did on that dvd was afterlife and i was like at that point i hadn't really dived further beyond images and words and to hear this song um i'm like oh holy crap where did this song come from oh it's from here i have to go back and listen to that now that song it's, you know, when, when you're making your Spotify playlist, and yes, I have the actual CDs and DVDs, the whole works, but when you're making your Spotify playlist, there are certain songs where I instantly go for the live version. Afterlife is definitely one of those. Uh, and still, to this day, anytime I think of Dream Theater Live, that's actually one of the first songs, surprisingly, that comes to mind. And it's that's so much further you know, ago. I think James Labrie does a phenomenal job on that song, but Charlie Dominici did a very good job on that as well on the on the record. So, you know, very, very good song. So already we have two different songs and we're only on album one. But now we go to album number two. Images and Words, released July 7th, 1992. We've got a lineup change of the band. This is where Charlie Dominici is out and James Labrie uh, is now on vocals. This album peaked at number 61 on the Billboard charts. It went gold in US, the Netherlands, and Japan. There were two singles off of this album. Pull Me Under, arguably, is their biggest single of all time. It peaked at number 10 on the mainstream rock charts. Uh, big shout out to Brian Colbert, of course, from my weekly mixtape and playlist wars, who did pick Pull Me Under on this one over on Twitter. Uh, so images and words, Sean, what do you have? I have... What, to me, still to this day, is something like, this is them just hungry 
and creative and being 100% honest with themselves of what they are, who they are, what they sound like. And that song is Learning to Live. Ooh, good song. Good song. What is it about that song that speaks to you? You know, about five or six years ago, I might have said Metropolis, but Learning to Live just has, first of all, Kevin Moore's phrasing. There's no other keyboard player that has that kind of phrasing in Dream Theater, I should say. His solos are really well thought out. Uh, the melodies, the pitch bends, everything about that. So even when you get to the textures of that song, everything that builds up, um, the and they're just chugging on that F sharp on the all these quarter note triplets going nuts like that. It's fantastic. And then it just goes into like everything that a Dream Theater song does. Here's the shreddy section. Here's the mellow section. Yeah, here's the, well, I, I almost spoiled another album so i won't <laughs> I, th- I think for me uh the song i had to go with was metropolis part one off of this i mean one of the big things i love about dream theater is the fact that they have these epically long um you know full-on almost un- so- songs that are concept albums unto themselves so when metropolis part one the miracle and the sleeper kicks in it's like all right i'm in for a ride it's not it's Definitely not their longest song, uh, but there is. There's a lot of musical phrasings in there. There's a lot of little different sections. And for me, there's certain parts that really get me. And, and Metropolis Part 1 has a lot of those little sections, whether it's chord progressions, whether it's you know changes from one section to the other, that, that just, just hook in. And you know, it, I find it funny that neither of us picked Pull Me Under. Most people, if you ask them to name a Dream Theater song, probably about 85% of them will pick Pull Me Under. It is a phenomenal song. Don't get me wrong on that. And it's been used in, you know, Gomez from the Sleepy G podcast will appreciate this. I I think at least four or five different video games, uh, including Guitar Hero as well. But I mean, there is so much to that album. And when it's your first one with the brand new singer, it definitely makes a statement. This is where they start to pick up. Moving into... 1994, on October 4th, sees the release of Awake. This album picked a number 32 in the U.S. and it's gold in Japan. There are two singles off this album. The biggest one was the song Lie, which peaked at 38 on the mainstream rock charts. Uh, another shout out to Brian Colburn. His song off this was Erotomania. But Sean, I hand it to you now. What have you got off of Awake? Now, my question to you is this. Can I say a mind beside itself? Now, we know that it's Erotomania Voices and The Silent Man. (laughs) But I know that it's three songs separately track-wise. But if you are to look in the liner notes, it's a mind beside itself. One, Erotomania. Two, Voices. So they're numbered that way. Uh, I feel that maybe the record label was afraid to have a 20-something minute song on an album. So they broke it up that way where it wasn't the band's choice, it was the label's choice. Is that an option for me? You know what? I I would absolutely call it an option, and I'm going to um, draw a Krista Berg reference in this one here. If you take a look at the track listing of the Getaway album, there's a section there that is like the, the almost like the three-song Revolution Trilogy suite. There's, three, there's definitely three different songs in there. They're all tied together. And we're talking Krista Berg here, like a phenomenal storyteller, which I I would argue that Dream Theater is equally as good a storyteller as Krista Berg, just in a different musical genre. So you can absolutely take a suite over over a part of the suite, or you can go the other way around. That is entirely up to you. 
I'm going to go with A Mind Beside Itself, which features the songs Erotomania, Voices, and The Silent Man. So when you see these suites put together, um, A, how quickly do you, you know, does your mind go to Rush's 2112 and just how much they influenced bands like Dream Theater down the road? And B, can you take those songs by themselves or does it have to be in the suite for you? Well, to answer A, I mean, if we're, I'm going to jump ahead for a second here. 2112, you say 2112, and then we look at The Astonishing, which is pretty much 2112 meets Game of Thrones, is it not? I'm sorry for the fans of the album, but that's how I interpreted it. A uh, guy finds a guitar. Guy can play music. Uh, you know, uh, 2112, yeah, I definitely it, in, uh, it inspired the modern-day prog rock epics, but then again, so did Close to the Edge before that, and so did Tarkus. So I can't, or Echoes by Pink Floyd. Yeah, I don't think it's just 2112, but I see exactly what you're saying as far as having the suites listed out, kind of like Close to the Edge does. Mm-hmm. And B, I can take them on their own. I've seen Dream Theater do the songs. Well, Erotomania has always gone into voices when I've seen them, but I've seen them do voices separately. I've seen them do The Silent Man separately. Uh, when I saw them at the Roseland Ballroom show for... Uh, the live scenes from New York DVD recording. Uh, they did the entire Mind Beside Itself suite, and I believe on the track listing, it is listed as a Mind Beside Itself as well. Still three tracks. I could take them on their own. Uh, you could play Erotomania into something else. I saw them uh, once do Erotomania voices into Solitary Shell, and it was amazing. I'm not going to lie on this album. This was one of the tougher ones for me to pick from initially I was going to go with six o'clock just because that song is, it's got some very interesting timing and phrasings and all that. And some, you know, a lot of fun, like samples over top of it. Um, But at the end of the day, if I'm seeing them live or even if I'm putting the CD on in general, the song I'm waiting for is lifting shadows off a dream. Ooh, nice choice. There is something about the vocal melodies in this. And, I don't think James Labrie and Mike Portnoy in harmonizing together get get the the cred that they deserve. There's something about bands like Allison Chains, you know, whether it be William Duvall or Lane Staley, Jerry Cantrell just brings so much more to the to to the the harmony when they're singing together. Same thing with Frankie Bello and how he compliments Joey Belladonna. We talked about that in the first episode. But with Lifting Shadows Off a Dream, there's just, A, there's a fun emotional buildup. B, that buildup has that hair on the back of the neck standing up effect on me. And I think, you know, harmony-wise, it's a phenomenal song. And it showcases beyond the musicality, beyond the how many notes can we fit into this. Like, I love the song. I freaking love the song. The last time I saw them live here in Toronto, they pulled this one out live. I'm like, oh my God, they're playing this and it's so good. It's so good. Ah, uh, absolutely love that song. Absolutely. Now, we're moving on to our one EP that we're going to be covering. That is A Change of Seasons. Released September 19th, 1995. We have another member change. Kevin Moore is out of the band at this point. Derek Sherinian is in on keyboards. This EP peaked at 58 on the U.S. charts. The album is one new song 
Of course, that song is also 23 minutes long. It is the actual song of Change of Seasons with a lot of different suites within that. But on the CD and on Spotify, it's listed as one song. And four live tracks with covers or medleys that were recorded January 31st, 1995 at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club in London, England. I'm going to go first on this one because our shout out to Brian Colburn. He and I kind of saw eye to eye on this one here. We both went with the big medley. So what is in the big medley? If you haven't heard the song already. In the Flesh from Pink Floyd, Carry On Wayward Son from Kansas, Bohemian Rhapsody, Lovin' Touchin' Squeezin', Cruise Control, and Turn It On Again. Like, there are so many good songs in there on their own. I, as a musician, absolutely love when bands start to medley things together and have a lot of fun. Because, I mean, as, as a musician, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this one here. You know, you listen to songs, you sit there going, oh, it'd be really great if we transitioned from here to here into this song and kept the show going and didn't have to take a break and keep the crowd into it. I can just see them having so much fun and say, wait, 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 let, let's do more. Let's add this song here as well. And then, oh, let's add this song here. It just goes to show how much fun they have when they're putting these songs, these medleys and their set list together. Um, Sean, I have to ask because you yourself are a phenomenal musician in your own right. And we're going to get to that in a little bit later. But when you are putting a set list together, how much do you have to pull back from wanting to medley songs? I don't pull back at all, especially since now I'm doing the solo thing. So if I just feel like, oh, I'm going to do Breathe by Pink Floyd into one of my songs, into another one of my songs, because it ends, it begins with the same chord that this ended on, I'll, I'll play for 25 minutes straight. Uh, so I really enjoy doing that. And I've played shows with Brian where he loves doing mashups. And because who doesn't love doing mashups? They've been happening for years. Um, and Brian is really good at them. He'll be like, oh, just stay on this. And he'll just start, oh, I'm going to sing this. I remember one time Brian and I did uh, What I Got by Sublime. And then just out of the blue, he started singing um, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. And I forgot what else we went into. But like 10 minutes later, we ended still with What I Got. And it was fantastic. But yeah, I love stuff like that. And I, I love a good medley as well. And you guys choosing the big medley is pretty fantastic. I, I thought long and hard about that. And I saw them, my first time seeing them was December of 95 at the Birch Hill Nightclub in uh, New Jersey. And they did a medley that night as well because they, they had done them before. There was one where they had um, Angry Young Man in it when Kevin Moore was still in the band. And I thought that was a fantastic one. But the one that I got that night started with the Rover. It had In the Flesh, but it also had Killers from um, Iron Maiden. It had, uh, um, oh, what's the last song off of uh, Master of Puppets? Uh, 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 Damage Incorporated was in there. Heart of the Sunrise by Yes was in there. I, I kind of liked that medley better than what was on the album. So in good consciousness, I couldn't go with that. So what do you have off of Change of Seasons? I'm going to go with the title track. Uh, and I also must say that I think the Derek Sherinian era of the band is fun. It's loose. It's a lot of fun. It's very jammy. And you can listen to Derek where Kevin uh, Kevin had great phrasing. And Jordan just, uh, he's Jordan, need I say more. It's, it's more like Derek would play off of what Petrucci is playing. Or P Petrucci would play off of what Derek's playing. But they weren't playing the same stuff together all the time. And I love that about that era. So if you hear earlier versions of Change of Seasons with Kevin Moore... 
there, there's a lot of similarities there, but I think what Derek ended up bringing to it, just keyboard part wise, kind of fits it better. And it, that those keyboard solos of his too, Jesus, like, need I go on? I mean, if you love the connection, especially between Sharini and Portnoy, you know, you'll definitely love the Sons of Apollo albums because having seen Sons of Apollo live, and I, I have to tell the story because I saw them at the legendary opera house here in Toronto and show's going good, it's all good. And then mid-song, the the speaker system cuts out. Just zero power. They can still hear themselves on stage, but the the the, the front speakers, like what we're hearing, completely gone. Finally comes back up. Pick it up right back in the middle of the song. Though Sons of Apollo is a phenomenal live act to go see. They also uh, just I love that Mike and Derek are playing together again. The, the songs are great. The vocals are phenomenal. I mean, it's Jeff Scott Soto. Uh, just, I'm going to go and agree with you. I haven't seen them live yet. And I know that I missed them on the tour where they were doing a lot of familiar stuff. But like, I don't need to hear them do Dream Theater. I mean, it's, it's nice. I like hearing Mike Porter play Dream Theater. I loved watching him do the 12-step suite uh, video on from that Cruise, Cruise the Edge, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I, but... I also just like watching him and Derek play off of each other because you can tell that they're having one hell of a good time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's stay in the Derek Sherinian era here with Falling Into Infinity. This album was released September 23rd, 1997, peaked at number 52 in the U.S. There is one single off this album, and that's Hollow Years, but there were promotional singles that charted as well. Burning My Soul peaked at number 33 on the mainstream rock charts, and You Not Me peaked at number 40. Now, we have to give a shout out to Brian Colburn uh, for picking Hell's Kitchen off of this album. But Falling Into Infinity, what are you going with? You know, I loved Brian's choice of Hell's Kitchen. And I was also at a show, once again, at the Birch Hill. It was the Fix for 96. And I believe it is a Lost Not Forgotten release where um, they debuted a lot of stuff from this album. And I believe it wasn't called... The album was called Lines in the Sand also. And Hell's Kitchen was part of the middle section of Burning My Soul. And the arrangement of Burning My Soul was so different. But... I did not go with Burning My Soul, nor did I go with Hell's Kitchen. I did go with the track that follows it, which is Lines in the Sand, which if you want to talk about jammy, loose fun that's still Dream Theater, it's Lines in the Sand. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about Sons of Apollo earlier because my choice is kind of influenced by that live CD and DVD set that Sons of Apollo came out. Yes, they did do some Dream Theater songs. One of them was... Can I guess? By all means. Can I guess? Is it Big Machines Take Care of You Until You Kill Yourself and then the sales go through the roof, calculated, formulated? Absolutely. Just wow. let me breathe. Like, A, Jeff Scott Soto killed that song. B, yes. uh, Bumblefoot was phenomenal on that. And yes, absolutely. You can tell the songs that Jarek Sheridan really enjoyed playing on now that they've kind of you know made that transition to Sons of Apollo. Um, but it was just so much fun. Like it's and such a good rocking song, like all the way through. Like you know, I, I we joke around sometimes on the show, like, you know, speeding tickets may ensue when you have this song on. This is definitely one of those songs. <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, this is my favorite Dream Theater album. And the only other person I know is John from uh, the Talking Into Infinity podcast. He and I are the only people I know where 
this is their favorite Dream Theater album, and we're still crazy nuts about Dream Theater. But I think it goes, it's just a lot to say about how fun this album is. And this is a hard album to choose a favorite song from. Mm-hmm. And it's one of their more, I think, musically diverse albums. And I'm not talking about like their musicianship, but I mean like the, the range of songs that you're getting on this album. There's a little bit of everything in here. And I don't think it gets the the love that it should. I know there were, you know, obviously there were some things going on in the band at the time and whatnot when this album came out and when they were recording it, but... I'm not going to lie. In it's it's one of those albums in retrospect that gets better and better every listen. I agree, but once again like I said it's my favorite Dream Theater album and it hasn't it hasn't changed. Like every album that's come out since it doesn't mean I like them less. It's just that this is the album that when I go to it I still feel that charge that I got back in 97 when it came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that hollow years was the song that came out off of this one as their, as their quote unquote big single kind of thing. It always makes me wonder. And I, I, I've never seen it, but I would love to see dream theater do some kind of all acoustic unplugged type show. Cause there are some, there are some songs, especially off of that album that, you know, what's funny is I saw them do that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but at the Birchill, I feel, you know, John from talking to infinity is always talking about how he was at the score show. Cause he lives in um, Cleveland or the Cleveland area. So mm. he's like, I was at score. So at least once an episode, take a drink. Cause he's going to say, Hey, I was at the score show. But once again, I have to interrupt you and apologize for doing so and tell you that they did do an acoustic type show. In the 90s, uh, I saw it, guess where? The Birch Hill Nightclub. I <laughs> saw a lot of shows there, a lot of Dream Theater and a lot of Sabotage shows at that place. But you're right. Um, it, that album lends itself to a lot of acoustic stuff. But you think about Hollow Years. You mentioned that. That's um, that's a Desmond Child song. Uh, is that? Yeah, that's the that's the guy's name. So Desmond Child, who's known for like, I you know, he's got that chord progression that you know. So you can sing Bon Jovi songs over Hollow Years. Or... Um, <laughs> Uh, Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. And there's always that change at the end. So there's like, you got your solo section or whatever, and you've got that measure of three to break it up before the big key change at the end. Uh, with Dream Theater, what he did was, that that entire song is in 4-4, four, four, and it still has the key change. So it's weird. Like, not only did he say, all right, we're going to have this Dream Theater ballad, and we're going to do the, the Desmond Child key change at the end, this whole song is going to be in 4-4. Four, four. And for Dream Theater, come on, think about it. Oh, there are... I remember watching the <clears throat> the DVD of the making of Systematic Chaos. And, you know, John... I can't remember. It was, I think it was Jordan Root is talking about how hard it is sometimes to pull back and not play you know, like 50 million notes all at once for some of these parts, I can just imagine what they went with going with an outside songwriter going, yeah, we're going to dial you back a little bit here. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's pick one time signature and stick with it. Uh, now we get to Metropolis part two scenes from a memory and anyone who believes in the, you know, the run of three albums for some people, this might be the start of that run of three for some might be falling into infinity. I'd be curious, you know, a little bit later on to find out what your ultimate run of three albums from dream theater is where it's back to back to back and it's all killer, no filler, but this is full concept album released October 26, 1999. Another member change. Derek Sherini is now out of the band and we get Jordan Rudis in on keys. This album peaked at number 73 in the U.S. Had one single that peaked at number 72 on the Japan charts. That was Through Her Eyes. 
Guitar World had listed this album as number 95 in the 100 greatest guitar albums of all time. So, Sean, how hard was it to pick a so- just one song off of this? Difficult as hell for a couple reasons. One, how do you choose Overture 28 but, but not Strange Deja Vu? Aren't they one song? Do you know, you see, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So with this one, it's really, really tough. Not just because of the blending together of songs, but just because, listen to that album. What? How do you choose just one? And what mood are you in that day? Are you in the mood for some toolish kind of home? Do you want some sick instrumental of um, whatever the instrumental's called? I, I know what it's called, but I'm not telling you what it's called. <laughs> or how about like just that, that beautiful Gilmore solo of Spirit Carries On? Everything on this album, front to back, is great, minus, actually, I prefer the instrumental live than I do the studio version. Okay. Yeah, yeah. However, uh, what, the more I thought about it, what, when I go with this band and I want the heavy, but I want the Floyd, and I just want that that craziness. And I, I also love that this is the first time they really showed their Frank Zappa influence, and that's on Beyond This Life. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm not going to lie. This was the hardest album for me to pick a song off of because there's so much good on this one. And yeah, like you, as you mentioned, like it's a lot of it depends on what mood you're in. Um, the mood I was in when I went through this album again to pick my song led me to home. Like I, A, you got to love John Petrucci just wailing on that on that whim, or the uh, the wah pedal with a wah wah but it but it but like a it does have a little bit of that tool vibe to it but also for me it's not necessarily that guitar riff or even like the little bass groove that you got during the during the breakdown but it's again the vocal phrasing the vocal harmonies uh, when they get to the uh, he's my brother, but I love her part. I'm just like, oh my God, this works so well. Like there's so much to it. And there's a lot of storytelling in this one song alone. So full on, like absolutely love the song Home. But there is like, this is a hard, hard song or a hard album to pick just one song off of. Speaking of pseudo concept albums, we have the double album that is Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, released January 29th, 2002. This album peaked at 46 in the US. The Glass Prison off of this album marks the beginning of, you mentioned it before, the 12 step suite, which carried over, uh, as I'm doing my math here, about five different albums. The second CD, the Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence song, on the CD, this is where we get you know really tricky here. It's broken into tracks, but on the score CD, it's one song and one track. So I'm going to say, you know, to to clear up anything, if you were to pick Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence as the whole thing, that would be allowed. If you just want to pick one song out of that suite or anything off of the first CD, totally fine as well. But now knowing that Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, what's on your list? Now, I was also at score, and I, in between sets, I, I went online to get a t-shirt and do the whole thing, so I missed the overture happening, and my buddy that I went with, uh, guitar player Bruce from Money for the Toll, was like, dude, you just missed it. This orchestra just came out and played that entire Six Degrees uh, overture. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? And um, 
that entire six degrees of inner turbulence suite, I guess, if you want to call it that, uh, with an orchestra was mind blowing. But my favorite song from that album, if I was to break up the suite with an orchestra or on the album, anyway, I'll take it is Solitary Shell. My choice. <laughs> it's funny. We finally have our first match here because that's the song that I went yes. with as well. I I did flip flop between this and the Great Debate, um, but Solitary Shell again. Like no matter what mood, a like you you could easily hear this song on the radio, definitely. But it's 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 a fun song. Like surprisingly, like at, at, it it is. I mean, obviously, if you listen to the lyrics, maybe not so much, but it is a fun song. Like as far as musically goes, and major key dream theater, dream theater like hardly ever does major key, happy like uplifting sound. You know what I mean? So like when they do this, you're like, yes, give me some of that. <laughs> oh man! Like again, if I remember correctly, it was either this tour or the Train of Thought tour where it's the first time I caught them live here in Toronto. But yeah, like hearing those songs live, like Solitary Shell. Um, the great debate like there's so much good but i remember too watching that score dvd and them doing the whole thing i'm just like yep i'm just gonna take that song and put that on my mp3 player and (laughs) and we're good to go for my entire commute to work we're good to go now we move on to train of thought this album was released in november 11th 2003 and peaked at number 53 in the u.s i'm not gonna lie this was a very easy album for me because this has one of my favorite songs of all time on it by them and it's endless sacrifice Uh, yeah like a a good long song can't go wrong with it but there's some good heavy riffs throughout this entire album first of all but yeah just the breakdown for me and like and then all of a sudden like just all the chaos happens and it's not like they're going speed on it but it's just the almost the gallop to those little solos and breakdowns like absolutely love the song and again speeding tickets may ensue but for train of thought for you what have you got uh oddly enough Endless Sacrifice for the Longest Time was my favorite song on the album. This is my the first Dream Theater album, too, that there was a song that just, I was like, wow, I don't like the end of the song. And to this day, it still pisses me off. So we're not going to talk about that song. I'm going to tell you my favorite <laughs> song from this album, um, Honor Thy Father. Oh, another good song. I, I, I still, I, I love how heavy this album is but what is about honor thy father that stands out over endless sacrifice given how much you like that song i love the phrasing of honor thy father it's just it's it's pretty much like mike says on the images and words uh home video balls and chunk is where it's at and this song is all balls and chunk it's anger i'm not a big fan of the rapping that happens in this or uh the other song that i just won't mention it's part two of the 12 steps suite though but Honor Thy Father is just, musically, it's great. Uh, Texture-wise, like, Jordan's on it audibly, which isn't um, isn't something throughout that whole album. But it's just, it, it's one that grew on me that just became like, wow, this is my favorite song off this album, like, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. 
Now we get to Octavarium, released June 7th, 2005. This is the tour that spawned the score CD and concert performance that we've been talking about. Uh, peaked at number 36 in the US. Each song, however, if, if you're a musician and you're deep diving into this album, let me, let me read this out here. This, this is, of course, coming off of Wikipedia. Each song is in a different key, and the keys ascend to a per perfect octave. So the root of all evil, which is the first song, is in a key working your way up to octavarium which is the last song which is one octave up from the same key so yeah that's just that's just dream theater showing how stupidly talented that they are uh shout out to josh zimmer on this one who did choose octavarium the title track off of this album so i'm gonna leave this one to you here octavarium what's on your list josh zimmer and i are in agreement i thought about it for a while and it, i was going between these walls and Octavarium, but it's, I mean, you know, being that I was also at the score concert with the orchestra at Radio City Music Hall, it was April 1st of 2006, wonderful show. And uh, it's Octavarium. And how do you, every time I've caught that song live, which is twice, it's just, it's just everything that, think about my favorite band is Pink Floyd. My second favorite band is Dream Theater. It starts off like Shine On You Crazy Diamond, goes on a little bit longer, but it's, it's Octavarium, and uh, whether I'm listening to the album or I'm listening to Score, which I was at, did I mention that? I will... Uh, <laughs> and cue the drinking game. I'm just trying to beat out John in one episode versus like how many episodes of his great show. But it's Octavarium because it's got everything that Dream Theater is and was up to that point. I'm not going to lie. I, I loved the Octavarium performance off of score. Absolutely loved the song. I was also considering Panic Attack because this is the first time I will admit, and again, shout out to Gomez over at the Sleepy G podcast on this one. This is one of those first times where I'm like really understood how stupidly talented they were as musicians. Because if you try to play Panic Attack on Rock Band, God help you, especially if it's on Expert. But I need to go with... Not only the first song on this album, but the first song on the DVD of the score DVD, The Root of All Evil. Just with the lights down and, you know, the, that little... Like, and, oh, yeah. Like, just the buildup. A, perfect concert start song. Absolutely. B, again, just all the way through. This song is such a banger, right? And I know most people aren't going to sit there and normally say, Dream Theater, that's a, that's a banger of a song. But hells yeah, this song absolutely is. Um, I mean, all the way through, like even like some of the, the, the lighter songs, like I Walk Beside You, it's still a great song. And all the way through, like I don't even think there is a bad song on this album. There isn't even a weak song on this album. It's a tough album to choose from. Um, I just love the fact that between the two of us, we have two of the three longest songs on the album. Uh, of course, Sacrifice Sons come, clocks in at 1042, uh, uh, Root of All Evil at 825, and Octavarium at a divisible by eight, 24 minutes. <laughs> Right now, right now, there's someone sitting there going, oh, dear God, they did math and music at the same time. But well, it's dream theater. It is dream theater. You got to bring your abacus and your guitar. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Uh, That moves us to... 2007 and systematic chaos released on june 4th of that year peaked at number 19 in the u.s so this is where dream theater is really starting to surge in popularity uh you know probably most since the the pull me under days two singles off of this one constant motion and forsaken and by the way if you if you bought the deluxe cd you had the dvd which had the making of systematic chaos that is a wonderful behind the scenes look at them making that album um for me though and i mentioned earlier from that dvd jordan root is talking about it's so hard to kind of pull yourself back and not want to add more to the song i think that's what made forsaken really stand out for me off of this one a james labrie's vocals are just soaring through this one b jordan rudis in in, in the simplicity of the song, Jordan Rudis is allowed to shine on this one. And while it's not the complexity that a lot of Dream Theater fans are going to be looking for, it's definitely one of those songs where you could you could sing along so loudly in the crowd, in the car, uh, on the bus while you have the headphones on, even though the driver is telling you to stop. Um, <laughs> there's, there's so much good about this song. But Systematic Chaos for you, what's on your list? Now... I know, and I'm going to go with how the album is tracked, but I'm going to go with In the Presence of Enemies Part 2. I know that In the Presence of Enemies is one song. The reason it split up is because they didn't want to close the album with a long song like they did Octavarium, and they didn't want to open it with a long song for whatever reason. I mean, you are a dream theater. You can do that. But I'll go with Part 2 for the sake of a track. Um, if I can say all of In the Presence of Enemies, that's where I'm going. On on the list of Dream Theater albums, this is uh, a lower tier album for me. It doesn't do for me. This is the first album where I was like, ooh, I don't know if I like all of this. And uh, it's a very odd album. But In the Presence of Enemies, just every time. And, and I'll go with part two. And I hate saying part two because, like I said, it's one song. Because it does have that, once again, that Floyd kind of build up and i just love that angels fall out for you heretic except of course an octave higher <laughs> with uh, the james labrie power and just every, like that song just gets me every single time so before we get into the uh the end of the portnoy era and the mangini area i, w- I want to take a, a moment to pause here because sean you yourself are a phenomenal musician and now that you're moving into like the the solo stuff and whatnot can you tell us a little bit about what you've got out there and where we can hear all your music well first of all i gotta thank you because the the adjectives you use to describe me uh i don't i don't look at myself that way but that's because i'm not the outside looking in so I really appreciate the, the kind words. 
but since this is Dream Theater, and in the 90s, I to say I was obsessed with Dream Theater would be like saying I'm drinking water right now, which I am, just not while I'm speaking, because <laughs> that would be weird. But I will say, uh, I want to talk about Money for the Toll. That's where I, that's what I really want people to hear because it was a passion project. We broke up in 2001. And then around 2009, uh, my bass player Gordon was like, hey, you know, like, yeah, the band's broken up and all that, but Money for the Toll, like these songs, they, they deserve a real good recording, like a, a serious good recording. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And our drummer uh, had moved to Texas at this point. And this is before like anybody can just record like <laughs> wherever you are and just send the tracks. <laughs> so my brother came in and man did a killer job on the songs. Cause he's my brother. He knows these songs. And like I said earlier, he knows more about music or he's forgotten more about music than I'll ever learn. So it took 13 years to come out labor of love for a myriad of reasons. It took 13 years to finish, but it's a labor of love. It's finally out. And if you go to Linktree slash money for the toll, just you can check it out wherever you want to. The album is called land and I'm really, really proud of it. I will say, having listened to it on Spotify, uh, it is definitely a phenomenal listen. So by all means, go out, find a place to listen to Money for the Toll. It's absolutely worth your time. Getting back to Dream Theater, however, we now have the final Mike Portnoy album, Black Clouds and Silver Linings, released June 23rd, 2009. This album peaked at number six in the U.S. and was a number one album in Finland, Two songs were singles off of this one, Rite of Passage and Wither. Uh, for me, I think the song for me is one of the first songs that you see during the audition phase of the The Spirit Carries On documentary that they put out when they were auditioning all these drummers to replace Mike Portnoy. Uh, Mike Mangini, of course, being the first drummer that you see. And the first song that they have him, you know, basically jam on is A Nightmare to Remember. Uh, classic dream theater good storytelling lots of different changes lots of good driving hits and the whole thing and can you imagine you know as a drummer yes mike mangini is another level talent in on his own right so is mike portnoy um can you imagine if this is the first song you have to audition with like i i can just sit there and go okay there is so much to this song let's break it down um a, have you ever covered Dream Theater live? And B, how much does it take for you to break down a song like that? Well, first thing, I'll mention uh, Cookie Monster vocals. Day after day. <laughs> Never did it for me, but I love that song too. It's not my choice. However, A, yes, I was in a Dream Theater tribute um, in 2001 to 2002 called Erotomania. So we didn't, uh, we did stuff from. Um, Dreaming Day up to Scenes from a Memory. Uh, we dabbled with um, uh, the, the, the Glass Prison a bit, but we like it, it's a lot of work. I'll tell you that it's a lot of work. Some after a while, it just became like, oh, like I kind of I'm not slamming Dream Theater all, but I kind of like got their thing that they do, which for a little while kind of ruined the magic for me. That was Dream Theater, but I, I would. I'd stopped reading the sheet music and just like started listening uh, to learn some parts for, d depending on the song. And I remember just like, wow, I think I've figured out dream theater. And I loved that and hated it at the same time because they were always this otherworldly magical thing for me. But it also taught me a very valuable lesson that the word can't sucks. 
I for years I would say, oh, I can't play that dream theater stuff. I can't play that dream theater stuff. And one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to attempt to play that dream theater stuff. And I got to tell you, man, Take the Time and Overture 1928 and Itsy Jam are probably three of my favorite songs I've ever played live. I and can't even imagine pulling those songs off live. But um, uh, but that's just me as the level of bassist that I'm at sitting there going, yeah, it's going to take me a while to sit down <laughs> and break your around. A, because John Myung is an absolute beast on bass. But for Black Clouds and Silver Linings, what do you have on your list? I have the Count of Tuscany. I'm so disappointed in you, sir, because I, I was really hoping that we would have a match on this. But, I mean, a nightmare to remember. I knew exactly what you were going to pick the second you mentioned those audition videos. Count of Tuscany, though, just once again, it's it's that's everything Dream Theater does in 19 and a half minutes and just blows me away every single time that the ending is huge gigantic and it's kind of like the epic where like once we get to the next album you'll know what i'm talking about like how every song on uh, a dramatic turn of events is, gets big and epic and it kind of started with uh, count of tuscany with that gorgeous ending and it just uh i could go on and on i mean granted it's a dream theater podcast so is there such a thing as a short thing but yeah count of tuscany baby <laughs> oh man i'm just curious though because you know nightmare to remember kind of feels like it's you know a car crash kind of thing i just wonder if this is you know almost a, a spiritual kin to detroit rock city oh wow i mean come on <laughs> like wow how do you <laughs> How did you get there? I mean, I get it, but I don't get it, but I get it, man. Uh, wow. Uh, get up, everybody. Going to move their feet. Get down. Hey, John's falling out of his seat. Oh, no. I, I'm just putting it out there. Now someone's going to- looks like Mr. Petrucci is drowning. Oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah, I just broke. I broke the internet. I did. I'm sorry. You did. You really did. You know, before we get to um, a dramatic turn of events, though, I'd like to give an honorable mention to a couple like non-album songs that were still released. I mean, granted singles, and I know we said that, but Eve and especially Raw Dog, because if you want to talk about the Sleevey G show and video game music, Raw Dog is the last track that Mike recorded with Dream Theater. It was an instrumental for Gods of War 2, I want to say. Uh, I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Good song. Uh, it, it reminds me of a song called Zausch by an instrumental project from the 90s called Sonic Ocean, uh, which I would also say, check it out if you can find it, seanfaust.bandcamp.com. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and yes, it was off of God of War uh, 3, Blood and Metal, Great. Okay. which, which right. makes sense, right? So. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so now we're moving on to the Mike Mangini era. Blank Portnoy out. This album, Dramatic Turn of Events, released September 13th, 2011. Peaked at number eight in the U.S. and once again, number one in Finland. Two singles off of this one, uh, and including their first Grammy nomination. On the Backs of Angels was nominated for Best Hard Rock Metal Performance. They lost... To White Limo by the Foo Fighters. The other I thought you could say Jethro Tull. Sorry. Uh, no, no, sorry. Wrong not, era. Wrong era. Not yeah. Metallica here. Uh, yeah. And then Build Me Up, Break Me Down was also released as a single. And I got to tell you, 
build me up break me down that's the song that you know that that won me over off of this album um I, again a great chorus you know uh, uh, james labrie again you know really showing why he is such a good singer um absolutely love this song but what have you got off of uh, dramatic turn of events i have and when we get to the end where we have to choose our one this is it's 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 a contender i don't know if it's going to be the top choice but it's breaking all illusions everything that is a dream theater song is breaking all illusions spoiling it early but potentially but i, I can just potential. see you, potential i can just see you looking at your list going ah oh, he's going to make me choose isn't he Sorry. Yeah, I don't want to choose. I don't want to choose. <laughs> right, you knew what you were signing up for when you said yes, yes to did. this. Yes, yes, I did. All right. So now we are moving to the self-titled album, released September 24th, 2013. Peaked at number seven in the U.S., uh, three singles off of this one, and another Grammy nomination. Uh, this time, The Enemy Inside was no- nominated for Best Metal Performance. They lost to God is Dead by Black Sabbath. Also released as a single off of this one was Along for the Ride and The Looking Glass. So, Sean, off of the Dream Theater album, what do you pick? Now, I love Along for the Ride, like, a lot. But consider this question. Look deep inside. Deliver a true confession. What are you willing to die for? I'm going to go with Illumination Theory, my friend. You love the song with the sweets, don't you? I really do, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's dream theater man uh, right i i do wonder uh, by the way when i put this list together and all the all the playlists here in order i'm going to also write onto the website the total runtime of our <laughs> playlists because i guarantee you you could probably fly across the country and not run out of music with Sean's playlist here because this one clocks in at 22 minutes and 17 seconds i'm just i'm curious now i wonder what the over under is on the runtime for your playlist uh it's it's probably about 2 hours i would assume well let's uh, so we got breaking all illusions we got illumination theory we got can of tuscany uh, Octavarium, like just right there. Yeah, I was about to say. Oh, change of seasons too. Oh, yeah, we're 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 gonna yeah. clock in around three hours. I, I was about to say, in three songs alone, you are over an hour with twenty two yeah. seventeen, twenty four, and then twenty three and plus. Yeah, you're you're probably hitting a, a, a you know coast to coast flight at this point. Uh, I'll, I will say for me for Dream Theater, it's the Looking Glass, and this one for me, it's all John Mayung. That great bass riff during the solo on this, like. John Myung is stupidly talented as a bassist, and as a bassist, I can sit there and both admire the talent and hate him for his talent at the same time. <laughs> the, no, 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 no slag here, no shame. But God damn it, John, can, can you not take all the bass prowess for yourself here? I, just spread a little love here on this one here. It's a great song. It absolutely is a great song. It's one of my favorite Labrie vocal performances on an album. Yeah, and it's it, looking glass. When you consider some of the songs that we've already picked from the earlier years, the the fact that, you know, in 2013, he's still putting out some of his best vocal performances. That's a kudos to, again, someone who is stupidly talented at their craft. That'd be James LeBrae. Like this whole band, like seriously, like just share the wealth yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> here we go. The, yep. d- the double concept album that is The Astonishing, released January 29th, 2016. This album peaked at number 11 in the U.S., 
three singles off of this one the gift of music moment of betrayal and our new world the single version of that has what the one and only lizzie hale of hailstorm on that one uh shout out to brian colburn who did pick our new world as his uh pick off of this album i remember seeing this tour of which they did the entire double live album and nothing else yeah yeah and i don't know if i was ready for that uh, being honest here over time i've gotten used to the astonishing and it's not that bad i do have a wish and hear me out on this one here i wish they had taken a page of neil pert's book and released a novelization to accompany the cd release of the astonishing because i think the story in the cd in like in the album would actually translate very well to a fantasy novel like if you had someone like a kevin j anderson who did a lot of work with neil part especially on the the novelization of of clockwork angels that i think this would make a phenomenal novel and if they ever released it trust me i would line up and get it well let me grant you your wish my friend because it was a plan to have the novel first but the astonishing by peter orulian is a real thing Really? And I will send you a link when we're done. It's a great read, my friend. I did not even know that that novel version existed. Like, I I love when bands take their concept albums beyond just the CD itself. Like, I have an autographed copy of uh, Year of the Black Rainbow from Coheed and Cambria. It's a phenomenal novel. Like, I picked it up when I saw Coheed and Cambria uh, out in Kitchener. It's a great novel. And Claudio Sanchez is a... Is a great writer i did not know there was a novelization of this i am so excited i have to get my hands on oh that one you've got to check and check out his other work he also did a, a novella based on wired for madness jordan rudis's uh solo piece and he uh, he's just he's got his own series as well so peter o'rulian i'm gonna send you a link to that Ooh. Uh, for the record i have to confess that i do suffer from sundoku which is the you know basically the the compulsion to buy books even though i still have way too many books on the bookshelf to read so i will never be Guilty. out of reading material yep so sunduku it's a, it's an actual word uh but what song did you pick off of the astonishing i've got a feeling you and i might have picked the same song which is descent of the nomax i'm just kidding uh <laughs> i've, I've got to go with now you mentioned the single version which i really liked a lot because you know you, originally they wanted to have different vocalists do different characters and Labrie was like, oh, let me let me just give all the characters a shot. And he does a great job. Um, that entire album is, is just, it's a Labrie vocal masterpiece. I love his voice on that album. Um, the other the thing I don't like about the single that you mentioned is that it cuts out the first guitar solo. And of course, I am talking about Our New World. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny? We don't have the same pick on this one here. Uh, is yours Power Down, the Nomax instrumental? It is not. Oh, okay, all right. I had to go with, in, in storyline-wise, this is the introduction of Commander Arliss. Uh, the song is called A Better Life. So this is track five off of the first CD. It was a toss-up between this and the answer, but I think there's just something really... A, it has all the hallmarks of what you want out of a Dream Theater song, but B, it's it almost has the stage narration of what you're expecting at this point. Like if this were a musical, I could easily see this, tr this song, especially translated into that musical. Like, oh, that would be awesome. Right. 
Dear John Petrucci, the astonishing the stage play needs to happen. Make it so. Yes. Now. Well, not right now, but eventually. Soon. But you got to read the book by Peter O'Rourian. Oh, you I, have to read the book. That That is, you know, as soon as you send me the link, I will I will make sure I get my hands on that. Because as I'm going through this, I'm like, I really wish there was a novelization. I did not know it existed already. So, uh, A, thank you for that. B, you know, thank you to the writer for that as well. That's great. So now we move on to Distance Over Time, released February 22nd, 2019. This album peaked at number 24 in the U.S. and number one in Germany and Switzerland. Uh, Five singles off of this one. Untethered Angel, Fallen to the Light, Paralyzed, Barstool Warrior, and At Wit's End. And a shout out to Brian Colburn. He picked Fall Into the Light as his pick off of this album. But what do you have over Distance Over Time? I'll tell you, Fall Into the Light is one of my favorite newer Metallica songs. However, uh, I went with Barstool Warrior. And it's, it, first of all, Distance Over Time is a top tier Dream Theater album for me. And Barstool Warrior is a top five Dream Theater song for me. So, once again, another tough choice I have to make later on. But I went all Barstool Warrior, kind of like I said before with Solitary Shell. It's those major key Dream Theater songs. And this one just really. You could tell that there was like a lot of love and collaboration going into this entire album. Very tough to choose from, but I mean, Barstool Warriors on it, that's my choice. Yeah. And it should be noted too that, you know, when you say there's a lot of, you know, collaboration on this one, though, uh, the song Room 137 has lyrics by Mike Mangini on it as well. So I, you know, I, I get, I do understand that, that people loved what Mike Portnoy brought to the band. But I don't think they should, you know, rule out what Mike Mangini has also brought to the band. He is a phenomenal drummer on his own, and you can like both eras. This is this is kind of like that Anthrax episode. You can like both eras, even though you can tell some of the difference in between the two eras behind the kit. But it's still all dream theater is good dream theater. Um, I actually ended up going with At Wit's End for this nice. one. There nice. There are there are some great parts on this, but I love the fact that the solo it's soul over speed in parts of it. Like again. John Petrucci, A, um, his fingers move faster than you could possibly see. You'd have to like put him on that time warp show on the Discovery Channel and just show, you know, the the his fingers in slow-mo kind of thing. But when he decides to go soul over speed, Petrucci is phenomenal. Like absolutely, his phrasing yeah. is always on top, my friend. It's not when he decides to go soul over speed. It's it's just the fact that when he when he does do that, the the melodies just really like punch you hard, man. And you, like I'm with you a hundred percent. That that would have been my second choice. If Barstool Warrior is not on that album, it would have been at Wit's End. Mm-hmm. And but Petrucci is one of those guitar players where his phrasing, uh, his sense of melody, it doesn't matter what what the soul the song is, the solo, it, everything he plays, to me at least. Those melodies are gorgeous, and when you talk about that solo, that especially the outro solo to At Wit's End, this is some serious beauty. Where I'll say, "Spirit carries on." You've got a very Gilmore solo. This is a very Petrucci solo. Yeah, um, get you a guitarist that can do both, and John Petrucci is definitely <laughs> that. We come to the end of this with a view from the top of the world, uh, released October twenty second, twenty twenty one. Peaked at number 52 in the U.S. and number one in Finland. Uh, Two singles off of this one, The Alien and Invisible Monster. And slow clap for Dream Theater on this one. 
Grammy win for the alien for best metal performance. So many years after finally hitting the scene, 1989, they finally get their first Grammy. It is well-deserved and well beyond time that they should have won one. Uh, Kudos to them. Congratulations. So a view from the top of the world, what song do you close out your best of with? (laughs) So I'm sure you think you've got me figured out at this point where I'm going to say a view from the top of the world. However... The one thing that I find very unique about Dream Theater when it happens, because it's rare, is the major key thing. And I got to go with Transcending Time. And it was a really tough choice because this is another top tier Dream Theater album for me. And you got Transcending Time, Awaken the Master, and A View from the Top of the World. And what a tough choice that was for me. But I definitely, I, I went with Transcending Time. It's got that piano breakdown that sounds like the background music on Dawson's Creek that for some reason, that's the first thing I thought of the first time I heard this album. And just everything about this song, it's very Rush. You can hear the Rush on it, but it's it's a Dream Theater song that kind of says, yeah, you know, we like Rush. But like, it's more Dream Theater than Rush. A, I'm going to laugh. Because on the last album, we yet again have a match as far as our picks go. Transcending Time was definitely my pick. And I love the fact oh, that you mentioned yeah. that it reminds you of Rush. Because this song reminded me a lot of Time Stand Still. As I'm Ooh. listening to it, it's like, okay, I can see... You know, I, I, we talked, we joked a little bit about you know spiritual kin as far as songs go. But it wouldn't... I don't think it'd be a far cry to say... Time Standstill may have influenced Transcending Time. Maybe they were listening to a little bit of Rush from that era while they were, you know, writing and recording. But they do. They, they kind of go hand in hand. And I love that. I absolutely love this song. And I love the fact that we, we actually had a, a match on the last one. But now that we've gone through, I'm going to ask you, first of all, to go through your list and then remind you there can only be one. So what song would stand out above on your list? Okay, so you want me to read this entire list? Oh, yeah. And I will. Mm-hmm. Only a matter of time, learning to live, a mind beside itself which is erotomania voices the silent man, a change of seasons, lines in the sand, hello, Frisco, beyond <laughs> this life, solitary shell, honor thy father, octavarium, in the presence of enemies, the Count of Tuscany, Breaking All Illusions, Illumination Theory, Our New World, Barstool Warrior, and Transcending Time. And if there can only be one... If there can only be one, it is the Count of Tuscany. Wow. I, it's, it's interesting. Given what you have said about a lot of the other songs, I, I, I know you said like you know everything that you love about Dream Theater is in that song, so it does make sense that that stands out. But I mean, that's there's a phenomenal list of songs on your list uh so that that definitely says something about the count of tuscany that it stands out amongst all of those if i'm going through my list here we have afterlife metropolis part one the miracle and the sleeper lifting shadows off a dream the big medley just let me breathe home solitary shell endless sacrifice the root of all evil forsaken a nightmare to remember build me up break me down the looking glass a better life at wit's end and transcending time. But if there can only be one, I have to go back to 1999's Petropolis part two scenes from a memory and home. It, it hits every single 
thing that I love about Dream Theater. The storytelling, the great riffs, the vocal harmonies, it's got it all. But really, I don't think on, on either of our lists, I don't think there's a bad song anywhere through the entire discography, really. Like, there's there's so much good. Sean, thank you so much for going down Dream Theater Road for me. Please remind our listeners again where they can hear your music and where they can find you out there on the interwebs. Well, thank you so much for having me talking about Dream Theater because uh, I could, uh, as you can tell, I cannot get enough of talking about Dream Theater. I would really love it if you would all check out Land by Money for the Toll. Uh, just go to Linktree slash Money for the Toll, or you can go to SeanFaustMusic.com, and there's going to be a link to my solo stuff, to Money for the Toll, to other random fun stuff that I've done. And uh, I would also love to say, adopt, don't shop. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Also, it should be noted, seeing how we've created this into a drinking game already, did you happen to be at the score DVD taping? I was at the score DVD taping and I saw a lot of dream theater shows at the Birch Hill nightclub in, um, uh, old bridge, New Jersey. And I was also at the Roseland ballroom taping for live scenes from New York, Mm -hmm. but I was at score. I was definitely at score. I I wish I was at score. Does that count as a drink? I think it counts as a Uh, drink. I think it counts. You know, who is at score? John from the talking into infinity podcast. He was dead. I, from what I recall, he was definitely there too. I, I heard he was there. I, I yeah. absolutely did that. In between drinks, I heard he was there. Um, thank you, John, so much. Thank you for this. And to our listeners, hey, look, if there's an artist that you want to hear us cover, hit us up on Twitter at OnlyOneCast. And by the way, you can find all of our episodes, A, wherever you get all your podcasts, or B, you can go to our website at NotThatBadCast.com, where you can also find episodes of our other show, It's Not That Bad. Sean, thank you once again to our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of There Can Only only be one. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.